0: Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us.
1: Advent comes from the Latin words meaning the coming. This Christmas season we will celebrate an age-old tradition of lighting a new candle on the Advent wreath each Sunday. Each candle represents a gospel gift given to us through faith in Jesus. Hope, peace, love, and joy. We light these candles in anticipation of both the celebration of the birth of Jesus at Christmas and his imminent return in the future. The light of each candle reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world. We begin by relighting last Sunday's candle of hope.
2: Jeremiah 29.11 states, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future.
1: We now light the second candle, the candle of peace. With Christian. Christians around the world, we light this candle as we prepare our hearts and minds for the celebration of Christmas. May may this light be a symbol of the peace that is found in Jesus alone.
2: Matthew 121 records an angel of the Lord
1: saying, "She will bear a son and you
2: shall call his name Jesus, for she will for he will save his people from their sins."
1: Please please stand for the reading of God's word. Isaiah 9,
2: 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here. Lord, we're grateful for who you are and what you've done. We ask, Lord, that you would speak very clearly to our hearts, that you would remind us of what this season is truly about. And Lord, ultimately, we ask that your peace would enter our lives in a way that would be impactful for us in you and to others in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Glad that you're here. If you're new, welcome. My name's Kevin. I'm the lead pastor of Church at the Well. I'm excited to have you. Um, obviously, we're going through Advent, and today's topic is peace. And this is an interesting topic. Um, we talk about wars that are going on. Uh, there's, there's this turmoil that's kind of everybody can sense happening in the world. Um, and then it creates kind of turmoil in here. Hopefully, you know what I'm talking about. So when we're talking about peace, one of the things that struck me this week is there's kind of two facets to this. There's this idea of peace that goes on with others, and then there's this idea of peace that goes on internally. And it's interesting if if you've been following Jesus very long, you know that he tends to take things of the world and flip them upside down and then change the way that we see things. And he does this with peace. In fact, there's this passage of scripture that I've been kind of meditating through all week. It's it's found in John chapter 14. This is what it says. This is Jesus speaking. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And as I was thinking through this, I thought, okay, so Jesus makes it very clear that there's this other false peace that exists by the world that isn't his. And then there's this peace that he gives that's different. And it's described in this passage in kind of two ways. It says that it allows our hearts not to be troubled and it creates us this this peace that prevents us from being afraid of what we're seeing. And so he kind of addresses these two things. It's our hearts not troubled with what we're seeing around us. We just sang an amazing hymn that talks about that, that no matter what's going on, um, our, our hearts... Our, our minds can, can rest in him. So the world may be going crazy around us. Things are, are falling apart. It feels like life is spinning fast and out of control. But Jesus says there's a peace that doesn't allow your hearts to be troubled in what you're seeing. And then also talks about this idea that we don't have to be afraid. I don't, I think that when we're as human beings, when we process what Jesus is promising here, it's something that every single human being probably desires. Like, this is what makes peace interesting. Because a lot of times when I'm talking to someone who's going through struggles, or somebody who feels like they've gone through a lot in a short period of time, I'll say, you know, what is it that you feel like you need? And they'll, they'll bring this word up. They say, I just, I just need peace. I just need peace. I just, I, 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 want to feel unafraid. I want to feel like my heart isn't so heavy. And when you think that that is a, a need and a desire for every single human being that lives on this planet, this internal peace, this external peace, this desire to not constantly feel like you're in turmoil or that you're at war. And then you realize that there's actually as Jesus says, a false peace that can come. And oftentimes I think we place our, our trust in that false peace. It's, we'll come up with like little solutions to the problems. Well, my heart won't be troubled if there's more money. And I won't be afraid. My, my heart won't be troubled. I won't be so fearful in this world if I just find the right person. My heart won't be troubled if I can leave the job I'm currently in and find one that's better. My heart won't be troubled if this person would just exit the scene. And so we masquerade kind of peace by coming up with these little qualifications of what's going to bring it. And then as we attempt to accomplish those things, we find that it isn't bringing the peace that we actually want. And it's that's real. It's just it, it's what we do. We we're, we tend to be problem solvers as human beings, and we say, "I feel a certain way. I want to feel another way. So whatever I can do to feel that way, that is good, and that's what I'm after." Or I, and and it all revolves around this idea of of just a peace. There's there's a uh, when I think of like peace from an outward perspective, I think of. I don't know, sitting on a beach, right? Where it just, you can hear the ocean and it's calm and my heart isn't pounding really fast. And I'm not concerned or overwhelmingly concerned about what's going on in my life or in the life of those that I love. It, there's, a, there's a calm kind of a, I, I guess the best word to describe would be like a rest. Anyway. People, we need rest. We need a, a rest from the stuff that goes on in our heads, the stuff that goes on in our hearts. And we don't truly rest until you have this sense of peace. We long for it. We, we need it. The other thing that's fascinating about just in this intro, this, this verse, is that it says that the only way that we're going to have peace is through Him. Which means that an attempt to achieve peace outside of Jesus is impossible. Or very temporary at best. Meaning you do something that your mind might feel at ease for a moment. But the unpredictability of life in general comes back on us and that peace is removed. What? What if there was the possibility of having a peace that can't be removed? What if there was a possibility of feeling a sense of calm and rest even in the midst of the storm? Wouldn't that be appealing? Kind of like we talked about hope last week, how it's the object of our hope that really determines the strength of the hope. In peace, it's the same thing. It's the source of the peace that determines whether or not the peace is going to be lasting or temporal. It's the source of the peace that is truly going to bring rest to the human soul or just a temporary band-aid. And so when we look at this idea of peace, we have to look at the one that can truly bring it. So what is peace? So I I just looked this up in the dictionary and there there were several kind of different ideas of peace, but I thought there were three that made the most sense to me. So the first thing it said is peace is no war. No war. There's no war, right? So you're at peace if there's no war. You're at peace if you are free from disturbance. I love that one. We're gonna talk about that one a little bit. This idea of freedom. Freedom tends to breed peace. Like true freedom breeds peace. Freedom emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And then the last one, it says, peace has this quality of tranquility. And I, this sounds a little bit existential for me, but at the same time, I'm like, yes. Like that sounds really nice, this tranquil kind of idea of my mind, heart, soul at rest. And so, obviously it's Christmas, so we're gonna look at a a passage that is often preached at Christmas. If you haven't turned to Isaiah, go ahead and do that, Isaiah chapter nine. And it begins with this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This beckons a lot of questions. Uh, If I said, listen, the greatest problem in the world is you are at war with God. We can theologically say that's correct. And then if God came to you and said, here's the deal, I'm gonna fix this by giving you a baby. (laughs) So I do a lot of marriage counseling. It's interesting how oftentimes when couples will come in and they're like really going through struggled times, which just so you guys are aware, that's normal. I get tired of this kind of thing where it's like, oh, couples should never struggle, right? No, there's marriage is really hard. It's difficult. You're going to struggle quite a bit. But I get they'll come in and say, like, well, really struggling. And then it never fails. If they don't have kids or they have at least one child, then they're always say something like, we think we just need a kid and that'll help. And I'm like, "Uh, uh." (laughs) like, really? Like, I don't know who gave you that advice, but that's not really going to solve the problem. It's you're literally drowning and then you want to hold a baby while you're trying to tread water, right? It doesn't make any sense. So from, our, from logic to think, okay, we're at war with God and God says to us, well, there's a baby coming. <laughs> it almost sounds insensitive in some ways. If you just read it for just what it is, it's like, are you kidding me? So now there's a baby, right? But when I, I mean, you think about how this is actually written, because I think we ignore it often. For to us, a child is born. There's a child that's being born to us. Meaning, this child isn't being born so that we can take care of a child. This child isn't being born so that we can um, have a responsibility to make sure that this this child is living and, and doing what it's supposed to do and so on and so forth. This, this child is born to us. Meaning, there's something that's going to come from this child that's going to enhance us. That's going to before us. The, the, chi- the way this is written is the child is coming on our behalf. And you're like, whoa, that's so cool. And then it says, For us a child is born, to us a son is given. Meaning, okay, there's a, when you think of the word given, you think, especially at Christmas time, we're thinking of a gift. There's a child that's coming that's going to be for you. This child is given to you as a gift. Now, what's fascinating about this, if you really want to geek out on kind of original languages and stuff, this word given, it's it's an interesting word. It, It kind of denotes like, okay, there's a moment when this child is born that we're going to say gift, but there's a future given that's coming. Meaning... The child is given to you at its birth there's a a child coming and it's for you but there's going to be another giving of this child that will benefit you it's foreshadowing what's to come so right at the very beginning we're looking at this this solution that god has to say you are at war with me because of your sin you are at war with me because what you've chosen to do you are at war with me because you owe me a death penalty however there's some really cool news there there, this war can actually be brought to a place of truce and peace because a child is going to be born that's for you and this child is going to be given to you and then this child is going to give something for you it's it's crazy to think about And when we put it in those terms, what we realize is that God's solution to our war with Him is going to come through this child. This child who's going to be given several times. When we talk about Advent, I hope that one of the things that you're constantly keeping in mind is we have this, we're celebrating the Advent that has occurred, but we're also celebrating the future Advent of Jesus' return. And so we have this hope of Jesus' second return, Advent, coming from the truth of His first coming, Advent. It's it's a beautiful concept. Then it, it kind of furthers what this child is going to do and the government shall be upon His shoulder. I don't know about you, but... One of the things in life that brings me a lack of peace is the government. (laughs) And this isn't a political statement, right? Like, politics are politics. I I don't don't dislike politics. I think they are what they are. And I don't necessarily say, well, here's, you know, if if this is the person that's in charge, then everything's going to be fine. I think we're, hopefully, you're old enough and wise enough to realize that's not really the solution. We, we wanna care for each other, we live in a society. Think of Seinfeld, we live in a society. We have to do certain things, right? There's, there's things that, I mean, it doesn't take long where you go, man, I live in Boston and it's expensive to just breathe air, right? Like tax on that's probably coming soon. So just prepare yourself. The, yeah, it, the government, it's, it's, it's not just our government, governments around the world, it, Leaders, people in charge, the ones who are making the decisions, there's, there's angst that comes from that. It's so simple to just go, why can't we all just get along, right? But you just don't. Why? Because we live in a sin-cursed world and sin-cursed bodies. And individuals, including us, even if we deny it, will always go, oh, love, it's always about love and peace, but it's not. Because I could probably point to, if I followed you around this last week or you followed me around last, last week, you would have evidenced something in my life that wasn't loving or peaceful. And I probably would have done the same with you. We, the idea that, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. that This is a phenomenal, very powerful statement. It's not talking about specific governments, it's talking about ruling everything. That this child that's going to be born is going to be the king over all. All government will be upon his shoulders. Now, we live in the United States and we're like, we love democracy, we love these things. One of the things we need to realize is when Jesus comes and currently he sits on the throne, Jesus' government is a monarchy. He's a king. He, he, he doesn't need us to tell him what to do. There's no opinion poll coming. He says, I am God. I am perfect. I know what the government needs to be, and I know what glorifies me most. Therefore, I rule. And for us as Americans, you can almost go, ooh. That sounds, that sounds tough. But the reality is we're dealing with a perfect king, remember, who's born as a child given to us, so when we read something like this, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, it's intended to be viewed as a gift. As awkward as it may sound, because we're not used to monarchy, or we're used to seeing, maybe on TV, a monarchy that doesn't really do anything but just is flashy. Right? But the idea that the government is going to be on His shoulders. That everything that we see, the way that we live, the way that we function, the decisions that are made, they're all on this child that's being gifted to us. And His name shall be called. And there's four names here that are pretty cool. We're, remember, we're, this is written by this guy named Isaiah who's a prophet of the Lord and he's writing this to Israel explaining to them that the hope of what they've been waiting for is coming, and he's revealing some of that coming. Your, your hope is going to be placed in a child that's being born and given to you. Your, this child is going to, to rule everything. And as we look at the names, these four names, we say this is who this child is. This child is first called Wonderful Counselor. I love the word wonderful. I probably overuse it when it comes to the Lord, but there's a wonderful to me, it, it, it creates this sense of wonderment. It's not just, oh, that's cool. Wonderful to me is like, oh, like you're in awe, you're in wonder of what's happening. Wonderful counselor, a counselor is an individual that that provides advice, that helps, that helps you see what's actually happening. It, it's not, it, it, they're supposed to kind of, weed through all of the mess, right? And we're, we're gonna kind of get to the root of the issue here. We have this, uh, this, this baby that's going to be born has this ability to take all of the junk and, and boil it down to something so simple for us to achieve this peace and love and not be at war with God. It's, it's gonna come down to something so basic that we can't forget it. And it's going to be glorious and wonderful. You're in wonderment of how this actually functions. It's, we'll often say you can, you can study the gospel your whole life and there's a constant sense of wonder that should be there. Right? When's the last time you just sat back and been overwhelmed with the wonder of God? Where you just go, wow. I mean, it denotes a whole lot of different emotions, but the wonder of His counsel is amazing. Next, mighty God. We know Jesus is, is this baby and we know that he's part of the Trinity and that he is God himself. And you know, we, we talk about the Trinity quite a bit because Trinitarian theology is extremely important. If you deny the Trinity, then you deny the relationship that God has that is actually his essence. Which means you deny the Trinity, then we don't necessarily have this beautiful relational God that we're invited into. It also doesn't make sense that then we would find places like this where our attempt is to build community with one another. That is all grounded in Trinitarian theology. I've said this once or or twice before, but I remember um, an individual said, you know, there's one thing that God can't do for himself and he needs us for. And I'm like, oh, enlighten me. And they said, well, God can't worship himself. And I said, "Eh, actually, that's not accurate. Jesus prays to the Father. The, the, the Trinitarian theology produces a God that has no need of us whatsoever. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't lack anything. He even lacks relationship. I mean, he even has relationship. He even has praise, right? It's, he worships himself which is bizarre to think about but beautiful at the same time. Jesus is Almighty God. It, it's important to think as we, we, we view this, this gift that Jesus is going to be to individuals as He gives Himself on the cross, that if He's not Almighty God, then we're actually hopeless. Because it says in Scripture that a, an, a, one man might be able to die for one man, but the reason that this works is because the value of God himself is worth more than all the people that would ever be born. Which means Jesus has the ability when it comes to value to die for all who would believe, not just one. So if he's not almighty God, then, and Jesus died, and we're gonna deny that component, then what we're saying is he died for a person. So who is that? Well, I'm gonna say it's me. And you're gonna have to say it's you. And now we find false religions that ground themselves in that and they begin to compete for who that's going to be. He's Almighty God. There's several predictions in Scripture and there's moments like Angel has come to Mary and Joseph and predicted what's going to happen and this name is given. He, he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This baby that's going to be born in flesh is God Himself. It, it's it, it, If we were to take that back to the first verse, you realize that the gift that's given to us is God Himself. So we declare war upon God, And He says, I have a solution for you and that solution is me. And so I'm going to come and I am going to do what you were supposed to do and then I will pay the penalty for that to rectify my own justification. And then I'm going to invite you into that. It's it's unbelievable to think about. I mean, the fact that He's God, He's doing it all. Everlasting Father. This is a weird one. I think, because oftentimes when we think of, we think of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and this characteristic is being attributed to Jesus, but it's important that we understand this, even though God the Father is there, and oftentimes we see Jesus in his earthly body praying to God the Father, calling him God the Father. We have this Jesus who has this fatherly instinct for us where we view ourselves not only as his brothers and sisters but his children. Where he, what was a good father supposed to do? Protection, care, sacrifice, guidance, encouragement, hug, love, um, demonstrate. Right? you demonstrates a big one. It, it, it's one of the reasons that he came is to say I, I'm not just a God of words, but I'm a God of action. Who's going to show you? I'm a God who's willing to pay the price for you. Not just speak it. I'm not. He's not a God that's going to say I'm going to have this kind of individual over here that I've chosen and that, I'm just gonna elevate that person up and that person's gonna do it. No, I'm gonna do it. That's fatherly. And it's simple, I, you know. It, he, when I think of fatherly, you know, you hope that as I'm, I've raised my daughters, I hope that there's things in me that they see that when they're looking for their significant other that they're going, these are some traits that I want to see because I've seen my dad play them out. Right? And I'm not perfect, so then there should be some things they go, well, here's some things that my dad is that I don't want. Right? So this idea that Jesus is also like fatherly to us is really important. That He takes on that characteristic. And the last one, and this is, this is the one, Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. <laughs> the fact that the royalty term comes before this this idea of peace, it's powerful. You know, we put titles in front of names to bring credibility and authenticity to something, right? So if you go and get a degree, and they say you get your doctorate, then you're going to put doctor in front of your name. Why? Because... You want the credibility of knowing that you've earned something so there's a title there, right? Whatever it is, it could be anything. So this idea that this title around revolving around peace is Prince, that it, it brings this, this solidification to the idea that he actually has the ability to bring a peace that we don't understand. It's powerful, there's, there's strength that comes with it. One of the things that I, I, I think that we get some things confused here because we don't experience peace all the time. And so in our attempts to generate a false peace, oftentimes we misdefine the peace that we're seeing. Right? And so it's like okay, maybe I feel at peace. I'm not 100% certain. But Peace doesn't mean that you're weak. It's not, peace doesn't mean you're a pacifist. I mean, I, I, that's a whole nother topic. Peace means, remember, you're at rest, you're not at war. It, it's not, we don't want to bring these other things into it. it. The fact that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, this idea of a prince, it's supposed to come with this idea of a power. A strength. It's backed by something big. It's backed by a government. It's backed by ruling. It's backed by power. It, it's, it's something that we can acknowledge. So he's saying, look, I bring a peace that isn't weak. It's not, it's not simple. It's, it's powerful. It's, it's strong these four names that Jesus is described with this baby that's going to be born define everything that he's going to do and it's being done for us. Ultimately when we look at these, these four names and we kind of bring them together we have a a passage in in Matthew Matthew chapter 1 where the, I think, verse 21 where this proclamation of how Jesus is going to be born is given and one of the things that they say is that he's going to come and save his people from their sin. He comes as Savior and when we think of Savior, what we think of or we should think of is Okay, he's self-proclaiming savior, but does he have the ability to save? Right? So then you go, okay, okay, that's an important thing because lots of people say, well, I can save, but can you? Like you don't want somebody, if you're drowning, you don't want somebody who can't swim to jump in and try to save you because you're both going to drown. Right? So you it's one thing to say that you can save, it's another thing do you actually have the ability and strength and power to get the job done. And these four names declare that he does. And that's a an overwhelming concept. So if you think like Isaiah wrote this hundreds of years before Jesus is born and he's promising that this baby is coming and he's describing him in these four names and he's saying, this is the savior we've been waiting for. What the Holy Spirit through Isaiah is attempting to do is say, you need to be ready because it's not just savior in name, it's actually savior in strength and power. He has the capabilities of actually doing it. And that changes everything. Especially when you think of something like peace. It's so fleeting. Verse seven, it says, "Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end." I just want you to think about that for a second. We were singing the song, "It is well with my soul," and it brought me to tears. And I, I was thinking about this specific verse: that the increase of his government and of his peace has no end. It, it's eternal. We don't, it's hard for us to understand that. It's hard for us to grasp this world because we don't live in it where Jesus is king and peace is just, it's not even something to be achieved, it's something that just exists. Where you don't have to go, okay, Jesus is back and let's make peace. He goes, no, I am peace. I I am peace. The peace that Annalise talked about it when she opened the service, this peace that surpasses all understanding, it's a very unique passage. One of these days I'll preach on that again, and it requires some things of us to achieve it, to see it, but it's promised to you in Christ. There's a peace that Jesus gives that allows you to experience beyond your understanding. If you've walked with Christ very long, you know this peace because you go, I should be freaking out right now. (laughs) Right, and it doesn't, that can actually be masked because sometimes people go, well, I should be freaking out right now, but what you realize is they're actually falling into apathy, not peace. And that's not what we're talking about. We're actually talking about you're walking through a storm and your heart, soul, mind is going, I'm at peace. The storm's there, and it's not that I don't care. It's that I know that no matter what happens in the midst of this storm, I've got Jesus. That's peace, right? So we have to kind of take this concept where you go, okay, in these moments where you've been in the storm, or you've been hurt or you've you, things are happening and you experience this peace that you know doesn't come from you once again not apathy it, it's peace it's it's you keep walking you keep loving you keep living you keep glorifying Jesus during it that's one of the ways that you know that you're experiencing the peace anything that the holy spirit gives you that's outside of you always brings glory to Jesus right so you how do I know if I'm in apathy or in peace? Well, the question is, what's your attitude in it? And is it bringing glory to Jesus? You don't say, well, I just don't care. That's apathy. You say, I care so much that I'm willing to keep walking. There's a difference, right? So you, we, we have these things We just have to be real with ourselves to really grasp it. There's a, we take those moments that we experience on these small levels and we realize that when Jesus returns in the second advent that what we experience in those small moments becomes the norm. But not just the norm, it's the reality. Nothing, it doesn't, doesn't get removed. The increase of his government and of his peace is eternal. One of the other things that, because I, I think I don't want to sound like, oh well, so you're just gonna have these moments of peace as you're living and then we're just kind of waiting for the peace that's coming. I mean, yes, but it, it gets beyond that because the fact that Jesus' peace is eternal means that you have the ability to tap into it anytime during your life. Like I, I hope you guys get this. And I thought oh, I'm gonna say this. So if you're a community group leader, like listen up for a second because this is what you're trying to push your people toward right now as you talk about this stuff. We talked about hope last week. Well, you realize that you don't produce hope, Jesus does. So hope isn't something you have to find if you know Jesus, you have it. You just have to live it. You don't, you don't produce it. It's given to you in its fullness. So you have the ability to live a life hopeful here and providing hope to others as you display the hope of Jesus to others. In Christ, peace is the same thing. You have peace if you know Jesus. Whether you're living in that peace is a whole nother concept. But you have it. It's there. It's not like, oh, I have to find it. I have to generate it. I have to produce it. No, that all comes from Jesus. You are declares Jesus agents of peace and reconciliation. Whether you live that or not is a different matter, but you don't produce it. So you have the ability to have peace here and peace here. What does that look like? No turmoil going on in here and not being afraid here. You have that in you if you know Jesus. We're gonna read a passage here in a second where if you don't know Jesus, you don't have it. But if you know Jesus, these things are yours. They're in you. You just have to live them out. So when I say like, okay, you're living it and you experience it. You experience it because you take what Jesus has given you and you use it by his grace. (laughs) Right? It's not like a vending machine where you're like, oh, I need to dial up peace today, but it kind of is in a way. It's like, I'm not at peace. I have peace in Christ. I need to lean into that, not produce it or generate it. And here's the other cool thing. The fact that it's eternal, meaning it's eternal now and it's eternal then, it's always yours. It's not based upon, oh, well, that person's not at peace and I live with them. Or that person's not at peace and I'm around them all the time. Or this situation isn't at peace. No, it's always there. It's not, it's not something that is dependent upon anything else. It's eternal and sure because it's in Christ and nothing else. <laughs> Thank God it's not required that we generate it. Because what do we Generate. War. You know, what? We generated war with God and we continue to fight that. We generate war with each other and we continue to produce that. Naturally, we want war. We say, oh, we're peace. Yeah, we're peace as long as it's my way. But if it's not my way, then it's war. And I'll I'll mask it in love. (laughs) Because my way's better, right? Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. It doesn't ever stop. There's nothing you can do if you know Jesus personally. You put your faith and trust in Christ. You know Him. There's nothing you can do or anyone else can do that removes it. It's there. You just, just have to use it. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and hold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. It's just just giving us clarification on what this actually looks like. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to hold it. I spend a lot of time with church planters and pastors and what I have, what I tell people a lot is, you know, we look at strategies, you look at things and I don't believe that that the best church planters are always the best pastors. It's kind of two separate skill sets, right? Like an individual who is a true planter is all about starting the new. Like they have a gift set where they're like, "Man, I'm willing to to go through the hard. I'm willing to to fight for this. I'm willing to to see something birth." It's it's it, it would be like saying that just because a mom gives birth and goes through that pain, it makes her a good mother, right? That's not accurate. So you you have this this thing where you're like, "Okay, there's there's." We, we understand in our world, there's different people who have different gifts and talents and they do different things. And, and oftentimes I'm like, okay, the planter has come in and planted a church and gone through the pain and suffering. And now it's time for the, the true pastor who can't plant to come in and see the church move, right? Or you've given birth to a child and now it's time to learn what mothering actually looks like because it doesn't just come naturally, right? So, This idea that Jesus has the ability to establish it and to hold it is phenomenal like that transcends the way that we understand life. He's establishing it He, 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 he starts it it's there you're you're saved by what he's done you he, he's, he's he's the beginning but he's also the end so he establishes it and he holds it we talked a lot, a lot about this in hope that it's because of the object of our hope that we have hope because he can't lose hope he is hope <laughs> He establishes it and He holds it, how? With justice and with righteousness. We talked so much about justification, the introduction to this series, and I'm not gonna dive back into it, but to understand that He is just is so important. Why? Because without justice, there is no peace. You have to have justice. He he's a king of justice, but he's also a king of righteousness. It, they, these, these things go like hand in hand. He, he upholds these things with justice and righteousness and it says, from this time forth and forevermore. From this time forth and forevermore. It's exaggerating what I've already explained. Justice and righteousness in Christ, peace in Christ, his rule. What He's given us by His grace exists now, but it's forevermore. It's reiterating this idea that it's in you. You have it. Because it's grounded in something that's not you. Forevermore. From this time forth and forevermore. And then we get to the last verse, the last component of this verse, and this is what it says. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Oh. I'm saying, oh, because I've been studying this and I'm overwhelmed by this. What is zeal? I don't know if you use that word very often. Right? I'm feeling very zealous today. Or oh, man, that person's zeal is just, right? It's just not a word we use a whole lot. Zeal. I mean, it it means a lot. And this word specifically is very difficult to to unpack and it would probably take an entire sermon or two and I won't do that to you. But you have this word zeal. So the best way, I, I wrote this down. Energy and enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause. Energy and enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause. It's like, wait, God has zeal? He's got energy and enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause? Yes. I I don't know. He doesn't need it, but I just like you you get this amazing picture. Like the same guy who wrote this also wrote was transported to the throne room of God, right? Like you know this, Isaiah 6, right? and he saw something amazing and, and the angels are flying around. They're going, holy, 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 holy. And I'm like, they're pumping him up. He's like, God, oh, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like, it's like a, a pump fest, right? It's like you're, you know, sometimes when you have to do something, it's like you're at the gym and I can't get the bar up and I need that person going, come on, you got it. <laughs> right, and I'm tapping into their zeal to get it done. And then most of the time I can't do it anyway, but it feels good, right? It's like like that's how I picture zeal, but it's not really like that because he produces it all himself. But the fact that he produces that and is that excites me. Because I, I picture this, he's like, Kevin, 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 look, you're in a situation and I've given you peace and you actually have the ability to live it. Go, 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 go. I'm like, that's so cool to think about. Like he's rooting me on in his zeal to display his characteristics to others and, and have them in my own life for my good. That, that's so cool. It's that football coach or whatever coach that you're with it that you know, like it was like they, they just got you and they encouraged you in a way where it's like, man, they pulled more out of you than you could even imagine. But here's what the zeal of the Lord does. He doesn't pull it out of you because it's not in you. He just pulls Jesus to the forefront. He's like, he's there. Soul of spirit lives there, but he's, he's like, I'm pulling. Like, oh, oh like, I'm trying to, to die to yourself. There's another way to say it. Take up your cross, follow me. It's Jesus to the forefront. But he does this with z- like zealousness, not like bitterness. Like we don't have a God who's like, I've given you everything that you need. Why won't you do it? He's like, come on. I've given you everything you need. You do not have to be at war with me. You do not have to feel that way. You can walk through the storms of life in peace, displaying hope to others and experiencing hope yourself. That's overwhelming. He's so zealous for it. He's zealous for it. Here's the thing, thank goodness once again, his zeal, we're not dependent upon his zeal, we're dependent upon him, right? It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, what? We'll do it. I mean, if you don't do it, he's gonna do it anyway, right? It's God's sovereign and you can't thwart his sovereignty, so what God wants, God gets, right? But he's zealous Zealous for his mission, he's zealous for his glory, he's also zealous for you, and he's zealous that you participate in what he's doing. And that's pretty cool to think about. You, as a Christ follower, have the ability to be the agent of peace to someone. Like real peace, just by displaying it. I love it, I love when somebody comes up and says, Kevin, I'm watching you go through this, how are you doing it? And you know, then you always just go, because I'm the man, right? No. <laughs> you say, you see anything good in me? Jesus. Like, those are doors that are open, why? Because you live in a way, and it's not always like this, because sometimes they come and go, how can you live this? They, you live in a way where you get to participate in what the Lord's doing and that impacts others around you. then they begin to question, I see something different in you, I want that, what is it? And your answer is, Jesus. I didn't produce it. I didn't make it. In my own strength, this isn't how I would be functioning. Uh, and, and to be honest, it, there's these moments where when they really see it, that you, you realize, wow, I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind that that's what was happening. Because it has nothing to do with me. I didn't look in the morning and go, zeal, 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 zeal. I just, the Lord clearly just brought Jesus to the forefront. Because he's there. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, a couple of questions for you. I, I think the first is this, and it, it, it's designed for Christ followers. And it's a question that I kept having to ask myself. The question is this: Do you have zeal for peace, like this kind of peace? I can back it up and say, we have two candles. Do you have zeal for hope? Do you have zeal for peace? Do you have the zeal for your heart to be, in your mind and your soul to be at rest regardless of what's going on around you? Because we can't change what's going on around us per se. But you in Christ have been given everything that you need to experience that peace but are you willing to pull it forward by his grace? All right. the, saddest, this is why the saddest thing in the world is when you hear a Christ follower say I have no hope. I'm like oh, then you don't understand the gospel. Because it's not about you, it's about him. Which means you're, I mean, from a counseling standpoint, you go, well, then you're thinking about you and not Jesus, because he provides hope. It's eternal. Well, I have no peace. Well, then you don't understand the gospel. Because you have, a Christ follower should never say they don't have these things. What a Christ follower can say is, I'm not using these things. I'm not engaged in these things. I don't have any zeal for these things right now." And then you lean into somebody else that's a Christ follower that does, right? And say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, come on. Jesus is there. You have the ability to be at peace. You have the ability to be hope. For those of you who aren't Christ followers, uh, I will tell you this. Without Jesus, you can't experience these things because He hasn't given them to you. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's the Son that's been born and given to us that is the answer. So if you're here today and you say, well, I want peace and I want hope, then you have two theoretical options. The first would be that you would continue in the life that you're living and trying to generate those things on your own, in your own strength, by your own hand. And I will tell you what's going to happen because it happens to all of us. Peace doesn't come, exhaustion does. And when we get exhausted, we also get foolish. So what's the answer? You have to go to the source. You don't have it in you to produce peace, hope, faith, or love. You have to go to the individual who is peace and hope and love. And then He gives it to you. And then, so cliche, but we just get to reflect it, right? We're the moon. We generate no light. We reflect the sun. But it's a big, bright ball in the sky. Right? So I don't, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in here, but if you're going to walk away with anything, for Christ followers, I would just say, stop. if you're trying to generate it, stop. And live it. Because it's already there. Some of it comes from joy. We'll talk about that one later. Right? It, oftentimes when you don't find what you're looking for, you're not experiencing it or living it, then the first, the first sign is you're lacking joy, which means gratitude, right? You're, you're forgetting that God has given you through Christ what you need to experience it. So maybe that's something you need to work through it. But I would also say, like, I'm challenging you to think, like, do you have zeal for it? Like do you desire to display peace of jesus to others and most human beings would probably say yes and then get to the hard one you're not going to display that peace until there's peace in here so do you desire to allow the peace of god to actually enter you and achieve the rest and the tranquility that He's already promised you. You don't have to be up at night worrying. You don't have to lose sleep. You don't have to dread the next day because you have Christ. The team's going to come up. We're going to sing some songs and we have this like we do every week. These elements are present here on the left and the right of the platform, and this is your time to process. Um, I will say this, you know, we talk about there's things that we do, like meditation, There's right? a t- time of meditation. Meditation just means, it doesn't mean emptying yourself. That's a world view of meditation, like emptying everything in your mind. That's scary to me, because I have no idea what's coming in when I empty, right? It's meditation is intended to be thinking about specifically for Christ followers, Jesus. So this is a time of, uh, of meditation. It's looking at the elements that are here and being reminded that a son was given so that you can experience the privilege of being hope and peace to others and experiencing it in here. But what needs to change so that you can do that? If you're a Christ follower, then it's, what do I need to do different to just live it out? And if you're not, then it's, I need to know Christ. And if that's you, then I would just say, turn to the person next to you and say, do you know Jesus? And if they say, yes, say, can we have a conversation? And you can come find me, Pastor Matt in the back. I don't leave here the same. The worst thing in the world for me is to see churches Because the church is just a group of people who believe. To see churches live hopeless, peaceless, loveless, joyless lives. What a waste. You don't have to live that way. Why would you? Use the gifts He's given you. Have zeal for it. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, I am overwhelmed with the fact that we even get to celebrate the giving of your son every year. And each year, it just is a great reminder of what it is that you came to do and what you give us. Lord, what a gift. I wanna pray for any person in here right now who has never given their hearts, their minds, their soul, put their faith and trust in Jesus alone. Lord, I ask that you would show them very clearly through this regenerating heart, Lord, that you give that what they're banking on saving them doesn't have the power to do it. And that only Jesus does. So Lord, would you remove that heart of stone and give them the heart of flesh as you've revealed to us and through the prophet Ezekiel. And Lord, Would you give them the ability to see you for who you truly are? And Lord, for your church, we celebrate a birthday party every December. But Lord, it's gotta be more than a celebration of a birth. It's a celebration of new life in us as well because of this birth. So Lord, I, I ask that as we contemplate Your Word that we would choose to be and display the peace that is there for us internally and externally. Lord, remind us that there are moments we will walk into where we we are the only people of peace there. And the only agents of hope. And Lord, I pray that we would find great zeal for that. And Lord, when we don't, then I pray you would give it to us. We thank you that you are a zealous God. We love you. We're grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.